we're going to be coming out of uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, the fourth chapter of Hebrews. And it is talking about God's rest. Um, um, not only um, the rest that we have in him on the earth, but also eternal rest with God and salvation. And so we will be dealing with that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be dealing with that rest that is available here right now, today, for the believers, what we're going to be dealing with this morning. Amen? So I'm going to read for you out of the fourth chapter, verses 1, 2, 3, 7, and 11. And it reads as follows. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear so that, so that some of you might fail to experience it. For this is good news, that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for others, God said in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready, has been made ready since he made the world. Verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced through David much later in, his, in the word already quoted, Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Going down to verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. So let us do our best to enter that rest. Here's a warning. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Are you standing on the promises of God today? Is God your all and all? We ought to be diligent to enter God's rest. There's an old uh, hymn we used to sing, standing on the promises of God, I cannot fall. Listening to every moment the Spirit calls. Resting in my Savior as my all and all, standing on the promises of God. Um, believe it or not, church, it is easy to spot a person who is not at rest. Do you use phrases like, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm stressed out, I'm burned out, to describe how you are feeling? If you notice at the end of all of those phrases is the word out. And what that means is that you have exhausted your supply of emotional and physical efforts. You have come to the end of your own resources and you need replenishing. Although you may not be able to pinpoint exactly what's wrong or where the unrest in your life is, you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is something wrong and out of kelter in my life. The writer of the Hebrew text tells us that we are to labor to enter God's rest. That's why he says in verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. The dictionary gives several definitions of rest and remarkably they parallel spiritual rest that God offers 
to those who trust in his son. The first definition describes rest as, uh, as to, describes rest from action, motion, labor, or exertion. In a similar way, to enter God's rest is to cease from all efforts of self-help trying to earn salvation. Rest is described as freedom from that which weary worries and disturbs. And again, we see the spiritual parallel given to the children of God that the freedom from him, care, uh, that his care delivers us from the burdens of stress that rob us of peace and joy. The dictionary defines rest as something that is fixed and settled, similar to being in God. God's rest is to have a wonderful assurance of our eternal destination is secured in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It is to be free from the uncertainty of running to philosophy, to philosophy, religion, to religion, guru, to guru, somehow, somewhere, trying to discover truth, peace, and happiness, and eternal life. Fourth, rest is defined as being confident and trustful. We enter God's rest. We are given the assurance that he who has begun a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And finally, the dictionary describes rest as leaning, responding, and depending on. As God's children, we depend utterly and certainly on our Heavenly Father, and he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The writer of the text was saying to us that we should work hard at not working hard. The point is not to take the pressures to perform or produce God's will in our own life. Resting is not an inactivity. Resting in God, it means that we are, do, we are not doing the work, but God is. Resting in God does not mean not does not mean you are not working. Resting means that while you're, work, while you're working, while you're resting, God is working. While you're working, you are trusting. You are not working for grace. You are working by grace. And by living this way, you're doing uh, and doing only as the Holy Spirit leads you. You can actually work harder and get more done because it is not you doing it, but it is the Spirit of God in you who is leading you. He is leading you and he is giving you his words. He's telling us what work we are to perform and we will accomplish it only when we have faith in him and accept God at his word, then you are resting in what God has promised. The backstory in the text, and it's always important to understand the backstory so that you can have context of what's going on in the scriptures. The writer of the Hebrew text is writing to Christians. He is writing to believers and scattered throughout the book of Hebrews are warnings for unbelievers, not just any kind of unbelievers, but unbelievers who know the truth about Jesus. In fact, in this case, in the text, they were Jews who had renounced their religion, Judaism, and they had began to point toward Jesus Christ, but they really never made a full commitment to him. They were starting to walk away from all of the burdens and, and, and concerns of the Jewish religion. But then the criticism became so heavy and the persecution became so heavy on them. And for the love of their own sins, they were in great danger of turning back to Judaism and their old lifestyle. 
And so periodically scattered throughout the book of Hebrews, there are warnings to that group to never, ever go back to that old lifestyle. No matter what the pressures, no matter uh, what's going on, that you are to stay on the path of righteousness. And, and then these individuals in the text were on right on the knife's edge of making decisions to take a step in faith in Jesus Christ. But they were their steps were impeded. Listen to me, believer. Listen to me, child of God. This morning, if you are on the knife's edge and you have yet to make a full commitment to Christ, the call is going out this morning that you don't go back, that you don't give up, that you hold on and Jesus will deliver. Look, I know that this is an important subject today because there's people in here this morning who can identify with this situation. They have begun to turn from their former life. They're beginning to turn toward Jesus, but yet they have not made a step of real commitment. Yes, their church attendance is getting better. They are starting to develop some kind of prayer life. And yeah, they're starting to read the Bible occasionally, but yet they have not made a full commitment to turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. Listen, by not responding and making a full commitment to Christ, you are putting yourselves in danger of having a hardened heart and turning back to that old former lifestyle of yours. Do you hear me? The scripture says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, Come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the text, all who are on indication of a condition that already exists in a person's life. And Jesus invites you to himself. If you are weary and you are heavy laden, then Jesus is calling you to come. And chronologically, come comes before faith. Because in order to come, in order to move, then you have to acknowledge that what he says is true and then you move into faith. So he says, whomsoever will, let him come. And so weary or to labor carries the ideal of working to the point of utter exhaustion. Weary is an internal exhaustion caused by trying to seek divine truth through human wisdom. Weary literally translates into an arduous toil, seeking to please God and to know the way of salvation, Jesus calls to himself everyone who is exhausted from trying to find God and, and heaven in his own resources. Jesus invites persons who are weary from the vain search for truth through human wisdom, who is exhausted from trying to earn salvation, who has fallen into despair trying to achieve a God's standard of righteousness by their own efforts. Jesus is calling. Those folks who are heavy laden translates into something in the past that has had a great load dumped on a weary person. That can be somebody who's been damaged and hurt by something that has happened a long time ago that's outside of their control and they have been carrying that burden all of their lives. It's an external pressure 
heavy laden suggests that somehow we need to, to let go with our own futile efforts and works of righteousness and surrender our lives to Jesus. And here's what it says in the text in that same verse 28. Here's what Jesus says. If you are laboring, if you are heavy laden, he says this, I will give you rest. Rest means that to refresh or revive from a labor of a long journey, Jesus promises spiritual rest to everyone who comes to him in repentance with humble faith. See, in Jesus' day, the rabbinic teachings had become so massive and demanding and all-encompassing upon the Jewish believers, all of the standards and formulas that they created for vitally every human activity, they were imposing on the people and they were being beholden to traditions of men. And it was absolutely impossible for them to keep all of the traditions that the Jewish religion had laid on them. So the Pharisees and scribes tried to burden the people with rules and regulations. Acts 15 and 10 says this. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? I was in the barbershop on yesterday and having a conversation uh, with a young man who was challenging the fact if an individual was saved or not. And, and the individual, as I had known him, had always professed Jesus Christ as his savior. And the young man said to me, no, I'm talking about a, a, a different kind of salvation. I said, there's a different one? He said, yes. I mean the ones who speak in tongue and dance in the spirit. There are still folks who are trying to impose religious traditions and rituals on the backs of believers. Who are burdening folk with traditions and rituals instead of the call of faith. The Bible says that whomsoever will, let him come. And I will give you rest. In the early church, the Jews had been attracted to the gospel. They identified themselves with the church, but there were obstacles of ceremony, of Jewish religion, and they just could not understand or wrap their minds around the saving power of Christ. And so they stopped just short of a full commitment and consequently would not enter God's rest. That is his salvation because they still possessed an evil and unbelieving heart. In the beginning of our text, the Hebrew writer gives us a warning. In verse 1, he says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. But he says this, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. But what fear that any one of us should be found short of God's eternal rest of heaven and salvation. But we cannot continue with a half-hearted commitment to God or we will miss it. We will come up short of his rest. The Israelites were not able to enter God's rest because of unbelief. 
So the Bible says, therefore, fear unbelief. Because that will keep us from God's eternal rest, God's salvation, God's heaven. Fear unbelief. Fear not trusting God. Now I want you to ponder with me just for a few moments. Because I hear your church, you saying, now wait a minute, Pastor, I want to make sure I understand it. So are you saying to me that a Christian believer is to live in a constant state of fear of being lost? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I want you to be aware of what the Bible says in the New Testament scriptures. As you look at Luke chapter 12, verse 5, Jesus said this, fear the one who's after he has killed you, has the authority to cast you into hell. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, you stand fast only through faith, so do not become conceited but fear. One of the earliest lessons that we ever taught our children was about fear. As mothers and fathers, we would say to our children in the most serious tone, don't you ever run out in the streets. Always hold mommy and daddy's hands before you go into the street. Why? Because we knew that there was danger in the streets that they could be killed by a car. In other words, we were telling our children, fear running into the streets. But that didn't mean that our children couldn't have fun in the backyard, on the sidewalk, or in the park. In the fact, for the most part, we ne- as children, we never even thought about how fearful the streets were until our ball ran out to the streets and we went to go get it and we stopped on the edge of the street because we remember what mama and daddy said. Or when a friend knew we couldn't play out in the streets and he would beckon us to come and we wouldn't come because we knew there was danger in the streets. So here, but as long as we were playing in the right place, the fear of the streets never came to our mind at all. So, Pastor, here it is. In order that we might not miss heaven, I'm merely saying don't fall short of making a confession of faith as Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, the Bible speaks loud and clear that Christ died to deliver us from slavish fear. Christ wants a fearless people. He wants people who live in the most uh, dangerous neighborhoods and countries to live without fear. He wants us to go out and to reach people behind closed doors and prison walls without fear. He wants us to speak to our neighbors that are lost about Jesus Christ without fear. By faith in his promises, by faith in the promises of God makes us fearless of the threat of men. Okay, you still ain't with me. Let me help you. In the 27th chapter of Acts, we're talking about God's rest. Paul was placed under arrest. And he was put up on a ship that was to sail at the wrong time of year. And Paul was warned, the captain, that this was a dangerous time to sail. And the captains of the ship and the crew who undoubtedly had 
vast experience in dealing with storms and rough seas says we're going to sail anyway. Because undoubtedly during their many journeys on the sea, they had encountered all kinds of storms. And they thought that they had whatever was necessary to navigate a dangerous situation that they possessed the skills and the knowledge in their own hands to overcome any storm. And so they load Paul up on the ship. And the ship starts sailing. And shortly after the ship was underway, it ran into a strong storm, a violent and furious storm. And the storm's winds blew and beat against the ship and the waves crashed against the ship. And all of a sudden, the seamen jumped into action. And they began to do what they thought they knew to do to spare the ship. They used to carry boats in the back of the ship. They cut them loose. Then as the waves crashed against the ship, they started tying the ship to keep it from falling apart. And not long after that, they lost control of the boat and they just started drifting and floating on the stormy seas. I want to say parenthetically, church, this morning, that when you're in the midst of the storm, God intends some stuff to be lost. Sometime in the midst of the storm, there's things that we need to lose. Sometimes they're possessions. Sometimes they're physical and mental, mental scars that we've been holding on to. And so here it is in the midst of the storm that the crew is now no longer in control. They began to throw stuff off the boat to make it lighter that it might float better. And then all of a sudden, when they found out that things were out of their control, they became worried and scared. They were fearful in the midst of this storm. And so here it is, Paul who understands what it is to enter into God's rest. As a man of God who understands how to enter the rest of God in the midst of this chaotic storm, Paul goes to God in prayer. He is seeking the assurance and the confidence that comes from God. And as Paul is praying, an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul. And watch what this angel says to Paul. He says, fear not. For you must be brought before Caesar. And if everybody who stays on the ship who is sailing with you will not perish. And so Paul, being a man of faith, did what a man of faith is supposed to do. He went to go share the good news. And so he goes to the scared crew who is in fear and he says to them, an angel of God has given me a word. I'm, look, I'm in verse 23 in the text. Here it is. Listen to these words very carefully. He said, for last night, an angel of God, watch this, to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And here's what he told me. He said, don't be afraid. 
Paul, for he says you will surely make your destination before Caesar. And he said, what more? Oh, church, I wish you heard me this morning. He says, God in his goodness. God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with me. So here's what the scripture says. Hear me, church. So take courage. Nah. So take courage. Listen. For I believe God. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trouble, he is resting in the Lord and he says to them to be of good courage because I serve a God that I believe in and it is God who will make me to go. For I believe God. It will be just as he said. I believe God. I'm standing on the word of God. And it will be as he said. And as Paul spoke these words, not everybody believed what Paul was saying. So you know what Paul did? He turned to a centurion soldier who had no authority over the boat. And the scared uh, sailors ran to man the lifeboats. And, Paul, and when Paul shared his testimony with the centurion soldier, the centurion soldier ran over and cut the lifeboats free. Can you imagine the look on the sailor's face when he cut the lifeboats away? There was something in the man of God and the way he was standing on the promises of God that he believed in what Paul was saying and he put his faith in action by cutting the boats loose. So here it is. Paul says now, I know y'all think I'm crazy. I know you haven't seen the sun for 14 days and the moon. I know you haven't eaten for 14 days, but listen, I need you to eat something. I need you to eat because I need you to stay healthy so that we can end up in the place where God has intended us for us to go. And so watch what the man of God did. The man who was resting in God, he took the bread and he rested it before God and he began to thank God in front of everybody. And he broke the bread and he ate and the men who were with him all of a sudden took courage, encouragement, and they began to eat and be cheerful. All because God, Paul was resting in God. See, there's only one thing for us as a body of believers to fear. That's not having faith to take God at his word. Fear unbelief in the promises of God. Because as long as you are trusting in God's promises, you can be utterly fearless in the face of anything. Paul was resting in the law. He was resting in the wonderful assurance that his eternal destiny is fixed inside of the will of God. Hear me, church, this morning. 
We are not to live in a constant state of bad feelings. You only experience bad feelings when you are tempted to distrust God and his promises. And even then, use those bad feelings of fear to send you running into the safety of God's goodness and his promises. The Christian's life is to be aware of the fearful danger of unbelief, but does not live paralyzed or terrorized by it because we live by faith. Where our faith starts to weaken and it only rises long enough, when it starts to rise, it should only rise long enough to get us back into the peaceful, fearless relationship with Christ. As we conclude this message this morning, do you see the great lesson here? The believer's life of day to day, hour by hour, trusting in the promises of God for his help and to guide us and to lead us. And at that every day, hour by hour, trusting in God's faith, I know it's not automatic. We must believe that God cares for us, that he forgives us, and he will bring us into a future of holiness and joy. He will satisfy our hearts, and we will be infinitely more satisfied if we just trust him and stand on his promises. And the foundation of God's message today rests on the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the door to God's offering rest. Listen, the time is not past. You have not missed your last opportunity. Hear the word of the Lord. The door is open and the time is now. Church, I hear you. I hear you, man. I hear you, woman. I hear your daughter. I hear your son. I hear you saying, I know that there is rest for God's people, but not for me. I stopped by this morning just to tell you, don't rule yourself out. Because the answer is in the text, in verse 3. It said this, that rest is available for we who have believed enter that rest. There's one door to safety, peaceful, happy rest of God. And that door is faith. And anyone who puts their faith in God's promises brought by the blood of his son and is diligent not to throw that faith away is a part of God's people. So on behalf of God, I call this morning that you put your trust in the promises of God's rest and be mindful of the scripture text that says, that we are to do our best to enter that rest. 
Here's what I like about that call, Brother Steve. It says we are to do our best to enter God's rest. And all it starts with is to merely say, I will. That's it. But I will come and accept that rest. I will enter into relationship with you because I know it's you and you alone who provides that rest. And all he's asked you to do is simply and purely and purely take a step of faith and come. The scripture text, and we'll get into it more next week, said that the writer is saying that he doesn't want us to be like the Israelite children who didn't take God at his word and didn't trust him. And because they didn't trust him, they missed an opportunity at promised rest. So as you're here this morning, and as the praise band sings, won't you come?